0: Amen. You may be seated. In his poem, writer and poet Christian Wyman speaks of God's permeating presence. I invite you to close your eyes, to settle in and hear and see the words that Wyman writes. God goes belonging to every riven thing God's made, singing his being simply by being the thing it is, the stone and tree and sky, the man who sees and sings and wonders why God goes. Belonging to every riven thing he's made means a storm of peace. Think of the atoms inside the stone. Think of the man who sits alone, trying to will himself into a stillness where God goes belonging. To every riven thing he's made, there is given one shade, shaped exactly to the thing itself. Under the tree, a darker tree, under the man and the only man to see, God goes belonging to every riven thing. He's made the thing that brings him near, made the mind that makes him go, a part of what man knows, apart from what man knows. God goes belonging to every riven thing he's made. Friends, God goes belonging to every riven thing God has made. And in our passage from Romans today that Norm is about to read, we read and we hear about this belonging. God's being tied and tethered to creation. God being seen and shining through the things that God has made from rock and tree to you and me. But creation is not only a physical dimension of hard concrete objects, but our lives too are an act of creation. And I wonder if here too, in our lives, we can see God shining through, for God goes belonging to every riven thing. A reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things God has made. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. You are God, creator of us all and of it all. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. The scene opens as the sun rises. You see many little feet tucked in a straw bed, crumbs on the floor, roaches scurrying by. Yelling comes from outside or maybe down the hall, and the family begins to stir. Fanny Price is a girl of lowly means, her mother marrying a poor man for love. Their home is filled with the laughter of little ones and of the hardness that is born of poverty. As a child, Fanny is sent to her mother's sister and her family See, unlike her mother, Fanny's aunt married for wealth, and so her family resides at Mansfield Park, an enormous estate. And it's here where Fanny grows up asking questions about money and power and privilege, and about the choices of our lives and how they change us. In a 1990s film interpretation of the Jane Austen novel Mansfield Park, The movie closes with you, the viewer, going from character to character, seeing the places that life has taken them, and you hear Fanny's voice. It could have all turned out differently, I suppose. But it didn't. Our lives, too, could have turned out differently, I suppose. But they didn't. Our lives, made of moments and choices, experiences and relationships and places, they could have gone a million different directions, but they didn't. In crowdsourcing for this sermon, I threw out the question, what has created or shaped or molded your life? And people shared specifics those moments that change everything. One member shared how when she was a 15-year-old girl, she and her father were home alone, and she came across his dead body. And nothing was the same ever again. Members shared their stories of being adopted, of birth mothers making the seemingly impossible decision to make a life better for these little ones, and the ways those choices continue to echo as these women have become mothers themselves. People shared about Kennedy being shot and the Twin Towers falling, of large events that shake our innocence and assumed sense of security and stability. There are moments in our lives where we become aware of ourselves when our power and privilege is recognized. And members wrote of these times, of eyes and hearts being opened to what poverty and injustice look like in America. As they helped in soup kitchens in Washington, D.C., and built homes in rural Maine, those experiences years ago with their own high school youth groups, igniting a flame that continues to burn all these years later. And calls these people to still ask, how can I serve my neighbor, and how can we create a different world? People shared of surviving years of pain. Of hard homes where hearts, too, could have become hard. But instead, how those dark years made this life and the light to come that much brighter. People shared specifics. But people also shared the broad strokes. One member wrote of intentional and the not intentional happenings, mistakes to miracles and all the in-betweens. And another said, oh, there were so many births and deaths, loves and friendships and shared experiences. They've shaped who I am and continue to shape who I am becoming. And the good and the bad and the joy and the heartbreaks are all worth it. You, each of you, have these stories. These big moments that shake and shape our lives and the little choices, seemingly inconsequential, that mold and make us who we are. Chapters begin and chapters end. Every year when I'm invited to high school graduation parties, I feel like this is a spoiler for you who are having high school graduation parties in the coming year, but every year when I'm invited to high school graduation parties, I wrap this tiny book. This tiny book that shaped and changed my life. It was given to me by my college chaplain in my first year of school the beloved Dr. Clapp. It's a book that I've marked and annotated and put hearts and smiley faces and stars around for parts I hold dear and want to remember. This book, Parker Palmer's Let Your Life Speak, is a book that made me ask, what do I want from this life? What kind of life do I want to live? And it's a book that I come back to time and time again, like some great touch point. And in the book, Palmer writes, he writes, I must listen to my life telling me who I am. Who is our life telling us that we are? How are our choices to stay or to move on, to love or to let go, telling us about who we are in the world? I wonder how, when we listen and reflect on our life as a teacher, with lessons to learn and things to tell us, when we reflect on our life as a teacher, I wonder what this also says about God, about God who is part of every riven thing. Christian Wyman, that poet-author, has not had an uncomplicated life. He's been living for a number of years now with terminal cancer. Christian wrote in his book, My Bright Abyss, about finding God in the midst of facing death. And yet in his poem, he points to a God that is in all things, not some puppeteer or master manipulator, but a God that is intimately part of creation our lives being part of that creation, our death being part of that creation. And so I'm left with a question of how do we live a good life? How do we create a good life? A common question, but one that didn't actually evolve until around the time of the Industrial Revolution is mechanization and urbanization increased. As societies moved from countries to cities, from farms to factories, as some gained resources of wealth they never before imagined, we began to wonder what is the point of it all. We see this reflected in Kierkegaard and Tolstoy and Schopenhauer. We see this question in the beloved words of Mary Oliver, What are we going to do with our one wild and precious life? And it's actually been a trend in modern Ivy League academia as well, an attempt to answer this very question. How do we live and what's a good life? At Yale, there's a popular course with that very title, The Good Life, where psychology and theology meet. At Stanford, they've created the design lab, inviting students and those willing to pay a fee, how they wish to use design principles to create their life. But I wonder if in these practices, we are merely reimagining something that St. Ignatius of Loyola and early Christians regularly practiced. When asked what created a life, one member wrote, and she, she told me of a little slice of heaven built on an island in Lake Huron. I'm sure some of you may have your own little slice of heaven somewhere, too. And she wrote of going there as a child and now taking her children. She wrote of times out on the lake with her mother and the laughter of cousins. And I wonder if in part what she loves about the lake is that what's important there, in that house built by her grandfather, are the things that are truly important. Today, when you came into the sanctuary, you were given a piece of paper. This paper is an interpretation of St. Ignatius of Loyola's practice, the examine. Because as Socrates said, after all friends, the unexamined life is not worth living. The examine will invite you to take time and to reflect on seven areas of your life. It will invite you to reflect on, in the past week, where was your spirit? Where was your body, your mind, your relationships? How was your home or your work? Or how are your resources? It will invite you to reflect and then reset, asking in each of these places, what is it that God wishes for each of us? How do we let our lives speak? How do we let our lives tell us and teach us? And how do we recognize God's movement amidst it all? This week, I invite you to take this exam in home. I'm so incredibly grateful for the women at Sacred Ordinary Days making it available to us. And I invite you to take home this practice, and maybe you'll light a candle and make yourself a cup of tea. Maybe you'll sit in bed moments before you fall asleep, or maybe you're someone who just needs to lock themselves in the bathroom for a few moments of quiet and time alone. But friends, all of these are sacred places. Maybe you're in the midst of a season where you are staying the course, or maybe you're at a time in your life where you feel God's Spirit calling you to shake it up. I invite you to take the time to think about how you and God together are creating a life. What is thriving? What is making your heart sing and you full of joy? And where do you want to reset? Where have you stopped listening to the ways God's spirit is alive in you? Because, friends, God's spirit is alive in you. Meeting with a member this week, this member shared that every day he asks God, what is your plan for today? And then he prays, God, help me to be open to you. Starting a sermon series on creation, we so often think of creation as something separate from our humanity. Like nature is out there in that frigid, cold tundra, and we are here safe and snug in civilized society. Or that when we talk of creation, we can only talk about starry nights or melting ice caps. But this false dichotomy does nothing but distance us from the divine. For we are part of creation. Our lives are an act of creation. And the ways that we live, the ways that we choose to live, they matter. I wonder what would happen if we treated our lives as if God was truly present in every riven thing what would it mean to create that life? Now there's no one size fits all, but this week may we all together reflect and reset. May we let go so that we can let new things be born. May we notice the small, seemingly inconsequential moments that are shaping us all. And may we live our lives May we live our lives on purpose and with intentionality. For what are we going to do with this one wild and precious life? Amen.